0: So are we were recording my singing. Yeah. Oh, phew. <laughs> okay, well, good evening, everybody, and uh, to here and out there. And um, we're going to continue uh, with uh, the, um, the rest of the lesson that we started last week, and that is uh, the doctrine of God. Um, and our first verse that we started with was um, uh, Genesis 1 1. And it says, in the beginning, a God created the heaven and the earth. And we mentioned that the greatest and most profound idea that the human mind can conceivably entertain concerns the existence of God. The sheer importance of man's response to this idea cannot be exaggerated because it will not even go- only govern his life down here but will determin- determine his ultimate destiny. We must answer the who question. Otherwise, we will not solve, be able to solve the how, why, when, and where of His existence. Throughout the centuries, extra, a lot of extra-biblical arguments for the existence of God have been advanced. Remember, these arguments cannot replace the Word of God. And, and, but they can be useful um, as an opening to share the Gospel. We went through these, and I'll, I'll just briefly uh, mention them. The first one was the universal belief argument and says that all men have some idea of the supreme being. This has never been refuted, no matter what. The idea remains, despite uh, uh, numerous challenges. The second one was the cosmological argument, which says that every effect has a cause. Nothing comes from nothing. God created the heavens and the earth. No other cause needs to be sought. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we came to the teleological argument, which is uh, um, uh, means purpose or goal. The universe not only proves a maker, but it also a designer. The Bible says that uh, in Romans 1, 18 through 20, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifested in, the, in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of, wo- of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Man is without excuse. When he looks at creation, he is without excuse. And also there's uh, observable purpose in the universe. And it uh, argues for the existence of God as its designer. Everything is fine-tuned. And in Hebrews 3:4, we looked last week, at every house is built by some man, but he that built all things, is God. There is uh, the anthropological argument as well. Since man is a moral and intellectual being, um, uh, um, uh, he must have a Maker who also is a moral and intelligent being. Man's moral nature, religious instincts, his conscience and emotion, uh, emotional nature argue for the existence of God. Um, there is another argument but um, it's, uh, I don't think we'll go to that one. It's called the ontological argument. It's a philo- philosophical argument, um, and um, it's quite difficult <laughs> to understand. <laughs> so um, I'll leave that for another time. Then we have the big biblical arguments, and we said there aren't any biblical arguments. The Bible simply assumes the existence of God, and God desires for man to come to him by faith, And the scriptures reveal there is only one God who eternally exists in three persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're distinguishable in activities, but indivisible in essence, who is both creator and redeemer of all things. This personal form of being is far beyond our ability to comprehend. And it shouldn't uh, shouldn't surprise us that uh, that God who is eternal should be incomprehensible to temporal beings such as ourselves. There is nothing in our experience comparable to God. We know that the Trinity is factual, logical, eternal, and effectual, but it is quite incomprehensible to us. We can't fully understand that. There is no earthy example that fully explains the Trinity, though many have tried ...that needs fuel, heat, and oxygen... Um, uh, the other one was the dimension the three dimensions uh, another one is a triangle which has three sides uh, one triangle has three sides but they, they don't come close to really explaining the the wonders of god then we looked at go- the names of god <coughs> and there were four key names of god that we learned about uh, learned uh, that we learned about last week and that is elohim el adonai and jehovah and we've got uh, a we've got up to Jehovah. Uh, so let's quickly just go through these ones here. The first one, Elohim, it appears 2,750 times in the scriptures, and it refers to God's power and might. And it is the scriptures' first name for God in Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim. It is a plural name, allowing for the Trinity, um, a plural of majesty. Then we came to El. El is uh, power, might, strength. and has four compound names with, which goes along with El. There's El Roy, the strong one who sees. Then there's El Elyon, the strongest strong one. Then there was El Shaddai, the almighty God. Then we had El Olam, the everlasting God. And then we had Adonai. Then we come to Adonai, which is master or lord. And the Hebrew na- name uh, Adonai, uh, Greek uh, is in Greece is Kyrios, and determine uh, and, and describe the relationship between a master and slave. God owns all of His children. Adonai, the master, has a right to obedience. The master-slave relationship in Old Testament times, the slave was the absolute possession of the master, and the slave differed from the hired servant because he could quit at any time if he wasn't happy, but not so with the slave. He could do nothing but obey. The slave may expect provision, and the slave may have no, worries of he, had no worry of his own. It was the master's business to provide food, shelter, and the necessities of life. Obedience is the condition for this provision. And this is a marvelous thing. The Bible says in 419, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There are many examples of this relationship uh, in the Bible. Remember Matthew 6.33, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and, uh, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now we came to, uh, then we came to Jehovah. Jehovah is, uh, uh, means the, he is the self-existent one. Bible, uh, when you, if you had to say it another way, it's, it is, I am the one who is. I am the one who is. And it emphasizes God's dynamic, an active self-existence God's existence exists his existence is in himself. We don't have existence within ourselves. We require sustenance, we have to eat, we have to do things from outside of us. but God, his existence is within himself. that is difficult for us to grasp, but it, it, it's, it's a fact, and that's why God said, "I am that I am. that means the self-existent one I am. I'm the one who is. This is the most common name for God. Mentioned 6,823 times in the Bible. The name Jehovah is a Hebrew four-letter expression. Y-H-W-H. Some say Yahweh. And Jewish readers would substitute the sacred name and not even pronouncing the name due to its sacredness. They would use Adonai. I heard something this week. I was looking at some of these things and... um, one uh, man said that he would uh, uh, deliberately ask, if he met a Jew, he would deliberately ask what God's real name is, and they refuse; They won't say it. They will not say God's name um, because it was because of the sacredness of that name. So they would use Adonai. Now, there are nine compound names we started looking at, what we are going to look at. There are, I've seen 18 compound names, but we're just going to look at nine Uh, Of these names. And the first one is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Abraham and Isaac, remember when Abraham uh, was told to take Isaac and sacrifice his son? And as he was about to plunge that knife into his son, God says, Don't do it, uh, uh, Abraham, stop. And as he looked up, he saw a ram caught in the bushes. And then uh, God had provided a lamb for uh, in place of Isaac. So, uh, interesting that, isn't it? So uh, so God provided a lamb for us as well in the Lord Jesus Christ. John one twenty nine says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then we came to Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. When the uh, Israel were en route to Mount Sinai, they were attacked by the Amalekites. In uh, uh, Exodus 17, 13, 15, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of, jo- uh, of Joshua. For I will utterly uh, put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called it Jehovah Nissi, which is, means the Lord, our banner. Then the next one we looked at was um, uh, the um, Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace, and God brought peace to Israel by Gideon and uh, the three hundred warriors that uh, um, um, that He had uh, uh, raised up. When they came with the, the, about thirty thousand, and they whittled them all the way down to three hundred to beat the, to uh, take on the enemy. God, uh, God can beat. Even the greatest army with the fewest people—it's uh, quite an amazing thing. So Isaiah six five, um, I beg your pardon. No, here we are. Uh, Judges six twenty four. Uh, then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Jehovah Shalom unto this day, and it is yet in Ophrah of the Abizurite. And that was as far as I think we got last week. Now I want to go to. Um, the next one, which is Jehovah Sabaoth, which is, uh, Sabaoth is uh, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the Lord of hosts. Let's have a look at Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verse 5. Let's turn in the, uh, Bibles to Isaiah. Here we go. In Isaiah 6, verse 5. We see here in uh, verse 5 it says, Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is an amazing thing. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the captain of the armies of heaven, composed of angels, a mighty army. When you can imagine the, the just one angel in uh, in the Bible teaches uh, when the Syrian army came against uh, Jerusalem, that one angel killed 185,000 men just in one blow. You can imagine the power of these uh, the angels; they're way, way <laughs> more powerful than we are, and no army could stand against them. Um, How is it that, uh, um, I'd like to turn, let's turn to John 12.41, John 12.41, I'd like to show you something here, John 12.41, getting there, I'm there, 12.41. Um, let's go back a little bit to verse 39. It says here, Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He had blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted. And I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. How is it, Isaiah saw... Isaiah saw Jesus. It says here. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Well, we know that because it said there. Woe is me, I've seen the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. John 41 12 41 says, These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory. Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, when we talk about the angels, let's turn to Psalm Sixty eight seventeen. So I'm sixty eight seventeen. Just going to have a look at some of the psalms now. I'm sixty eight seventeen. Getting there. Yeah, it's close. There we go. Sixty eight seventeen. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. Then we'll look at uh, Psalm 104. Psalm 104.4. Verse 4. Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. And uh, Psalm 148. 148, Verse 2. Praise him. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. So we know that uh, Jesus Christ is the Lord of hosts. And uh, the hosts are the angels. He is uh, his army. Now, the next one we're going to look at is Jehovah. Makadashkem, the Lord our sanctifier. In Exodus 31, we we'll have a look there quickly. Exodus 31. I know we're going through the Bible here, but it's, it's good for good practice. <laughs> Exodus 31. Yeah, we're nearly there. Here we go. Exodus 31 12 and 13. See if I've got this right. Mm -hmm. 12 and 13. I'm on the wrong one. Here we are. 31. Okay. Here we go. Sorry about that. Right. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbath ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generation, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. That word sanctify means to set apart. They are set apart. And also says in the, um, this great name of God, uh, the Lord our sanctifier, God desires to set apart his people for service. And that's how we ought to be set apart, holy. And it says here in John seventeen nineteen, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Interesting. The uh, the next one is Jehovah-Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. You know that the Bible says in John chapter 10. Let's turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Then again, let's have another look at some other another verse. Hebrews 13.20. Turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 13.20. It says here. 13, 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus... That great Shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And then another verse in 1 Peter 5:4. 1 Peter 5:4. 1 Peter 5 says it says, and when the chief Shepherd shall appear, ye shall rejoice. We, you shall receive a crown of glory, that fadeth not away. So we see here the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that uh, um, uh, in, in um, the Psalm of David, David say, uh, said in the Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So who is the Lord? Jehovah. Jehovah is the Lord. He is the Lord, is the shepherd. And Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. Then the word of God also spoke to him about being the great shepherd. And again, the Word of God says that he is the chief shepherd. So David said it best. The Lord is my shepherd, and he is our shepherd. What an amazing thing. It proves the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ right there. And then we come to this, uh, an amazing one as well. uh, Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord our righteousness. When Israel were in Babylon... Uh, Jeremiah assured the captivity that there would be a regathering and restoration to the la- uh, promised land. And after 70 years, because they refused, Israel uh, were, were told that they must, uh, every seventh year, they must leave the land fallow, not do it there. God would provide for them up uh, the six years, the, the next year, there'd be enough to carry them over and they'd have a, the land have a rest. And they didn't do it for 70 uh, sevens, and so they end up getting 70 years of of punishment because they didn't do it for 490 years. Yeah, 490 years, they didn't um, let the land go fallow. So they had to let the land rest for 70 years. So they were put into captivity for 70 years. Then they were released out of the captivity. Not everybody went back uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Um, and Ezra went to build the, the, the rebuild the temple, and Hezekiah re- were rebuilding the wall. Um, but not everybody went back. Um, many were probably comfortable where they were um, for being there for 70 years. They probably thought, well, I'm settled here now. But uh, there's coming a time when uh, they will be brought back to the land. Um, and, it will, and it will be everyone. Every Jew will be brought back. And it says, um, So when Israel went in Babylon, Jeremiah assured the captivity, they will be regathered and restored. In Jeremiah 23, verses 3 through 6, it says, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, And will bring them again into their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Now in the future, it says, And I will set up shepherds over them that will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming back, and he is going to reign and prosper, and he shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called. Jehovah Sidkenu, or the Lord our righteousness. So the Messiah's name will be the Lord, our righteousness. So we know that that is the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, Jehovah Sidkenu. Then we come to Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. The Lord who is present in the future millennial kingdom, millennial temple. In in, in Ezekiel 48.35 it says, And the name of the city from that day shall be called the Lord is there. Then we come to Jehovah El Gomorrah, the Lord God of Recompense. In Jeremiah 51, 56. Let's go there, let's have a look at Jeremiah 51, 56. Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. Getting there. Here we are. Jeremiah 51. No, hold on. No, do, do. 51, 56, okay, right, so, um, let's go a little bit further back, um, Let's look from 52. It says, Wherefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will do judgment upon her graven images and throughout all her land, and, and the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she, she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me shall spoilers come unto her, saith the Lord. A sound of a cry cometh from Babylon, the great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, because the Lord hath spoiled Babylon and destroyed out of her the great voice. When her waves do roar like great waters, the noise of their voice is uttered. Because the spoiler is come upon her, even upon Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken. For the Lord God of recompenses, this is Jehovah El-G'molah, the Lord of recompenses shall surely requite. It's quite an interesting thing that um, God used um, Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the Babylon to uh, destroy Jerusalem, to take the people into captivity. Then uh, they were in captivity for 70 years. But God says, right, you're going to, now time for recompense. And they paid them. And I was looking at a, um, this last week. I was looking on, on um, the internet just to see what Babylon looked like now. And of course, it's just desert and just broken stones, and, and there's nothing left. When God brings judgment, it it comes, <laughs> and there's nobody there now. Just animals and creatures of the desert. Um, okay, Isaiah fifty nine eighteen. Let's have a look at that. Yeah, they got back what they did to Israel. What um Babylon did to Israel, they got back. According to their deeds, according to their accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will pay. Recompense. God will uh, um, pay recompense to those um, to those people, and um, it's quite something that even in uh, when Jesus comes, there's going to be recompense for the treatment of Israel in those days. The next one I want to look at. <coughs> finally, this is the last. Section of this, and that is the attributes of God. Uh, an attribute is a property, uh, the definition of an attribute is it's a property intrinsic to its subject by which the subject is distinguished or identified. Some attributes belong to God alone. For example, infinity belongs to God, and some are found in us in a relatively limited sense. Um, for example, love. We're able to love which is which is an, um, an attribute of God. Um, there are at least 33 attributes of God, and there may be some attributes of God which we don't even know, um, and we may never know. Um, but we're going to look at just 10 of these. Uh, the attributes of God present a theme so vast and complex, and so beyond the range of uh, finite faculties, and any attempt to classify them must be only approximate to accuracy and uh, or completeness, so uh, the first one we we'll to look at is unity: God is one. the Bible says in deuteronomy six four O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, perfect unity, God is the, the triune God, a perfect unity. Um, he is infinite, God is infinite, he is without termination, he is without limitation um, in one Kings eight twenty seven, the Bible says, "But God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee; how much less this house that I have builded." So when Solomon built that temple, he built the temple, and then he said, "Well, I built it for, for God, but how is he going to fit in there? I mean, he fills the whole universe, which is which is true." So God is uh, without termination, without uh, limitation. He is eternal, which means God is free from the succession of time. Genesis 21:33 says, uh, "says Abraham, um, Abraham called on the name of the Lord and the everlasting God." In Psalm 90, verse two, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So we see God as eternal. God is—we is, dwell in time, so we are bound by time. Um, every day, it just goes on, inerexably goes on and on. Time keeps going, but God is not restricted or in any um, way by time. Uh, he lives in eternity. Um, he is also um, immutable, which means that God is unchanging. James 1.17 says, With whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And I'm glad that God is unchangeable because um, He's always the same. And it's not us, we change all the time. But I'm glad that we can change. How could we ever be saved if we, if we never changed? We have to, we change. Once we were unsaved, now we change and we are saved now and born, when we get born again. Uh, so, God is unchanging; He is omnipresent; that means God is everywhere that he 's not in everything but because um, that is called pantheism. God is not in everything, but he is everywhere present this, uh, everywhere when you look out into space and you see the endless vastness of space and, and the galaxies out there billions of light years, God is there. He's everywhere, and what an incredible thing that is it is to think about, that out of all of that, God, yeah, he's, uh, it's just incredible, yeah, he's, it's incredible he holds the, the world in his hand, <laughs> in his hand, yeah, well his hand says his hand spans the heavens. So um, when people say um, uh, we can lose our salvation, he says, "You can." can, Some people say you can fall out of God's hands. I'd like to see you fall out of a hand that spans the universe. (laughs) So um, God holds us in His hand, uh, that invincible, that uh, uh, um, omnipresent hand, and it's an amazing thing. Psalm one thirty nine says, "Whither shall I go from Thy Spirit? Whither shall I flee from Thy presence?" If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there, thy hand shall lead me. Thy hand lead me. God is sovereign. God is supreme. He is the ruler. He is omniscient. That means God knows everything that there is to know. There is nothing that God doesn't know. Um, we are limited, of course, Very, very limited compared to God. I mean, uh, God created us and we are just so, it's such an intricate machine (laughs) that we have in our body. Uh, It's incredible, the cells have machines in them. It's just absolutely incredible. God is not only omniscient, he is omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful. In Revelation 19.6 it says, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. God is a spirit. He is the ultimate pure and perfect being. Without material substance or physical parts. He has no size or dimensions. God is self-sufficient. means God needs nothing that his own divine nature hasn't provided or supplied. Let's have a look at a couple of verses before we close. Um, Psalm 50, verse 10. Psalm 50, verse 10. Psalm 50. 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Everything belongs to God. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's, so he wouldn't ask us if he needed anything. Acts 17, 24, this is our last verse. Acts 17, verse 24. We know this is when Paul went to Athens and when he confronted the people there. It's 1724. It says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? God gives to everyone life, breath, and all things. The uh, last one we're going to be looking at is the decree of God. The decree of God is His eternal purpose according to His own will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. The nature of the decree, the decree of God has to do with His omniscience. God knows all things. There's only one decree one decree. God doesn't make decrees. One all-inclusive plan that involves everything. God sees all things at a glance. For convenience, the separate features of God's plan may be called the decrees of God. Understanding that God's infinite understanding does not advance step by step. there are no possi- There is no possibility that one plan will be altered or by omissions or additions. God will not omit things from his plan and he will not ha- have additions. With God there's one immutable or unchangeable decree embracing, embracing in itself every detail even to the falling of a sparrow. God says that our hair, the hairs on our head are numbered. Bible says in Acts fifteen, eighteen, no, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And finally, there's a preacher by the name of A.W. Tozer he said, a preacher said, about the expansiveness of God's knowledge. God perfect, perfectly knows himself and being the source of all things. It follows that he knows all things that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with fullness of perfection. That includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time, at any time in the past or may exist in the future ages yet unborn. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all minds and every mind, all spirit and every spirit, all beings and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones, all dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible, in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and hell. And know what? He is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews twelve two. Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're not saved, I'd urge you tonight to think about what the Bible says, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart, men believe. Uh, with the mouth, confession. heart, men believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, call on Him today. The Bible says, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." It's not difficult. Salvation, it says, is a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Almighty God, for who you are. Lord, what an incredible God we have. I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for providing us salvation for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray the Lord you just bless us and keep us safe as we go our separate ways. Be with those who have been listening tonight. Pray the Lord you bless them. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your blessing and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.